Welcome to another episode of Thick and Thin, where ball is always life. I'm your host, Karthik, here with my co-host, Nithin. What's good, Nithin? What's up, buddy? Um, you know, fantasy playoffs this week, uh, and I had the Rams defense tonight, so I am feeling excellent. Um, they were all over Cam Newton, Scam Newton, as you once called him back in the day. <laughs> Still call him that. <laughs> and uh, now, but here we go. And and guess what? We're 24 hours away from actual live basketball yet again. I love it. I still can't believe it. We're on primetime tomorrow, too. Kings, Blazers, ESPN. Uh, you better get ready for that. The Tyrese um, Halliburton game. The Halliburton game. He's about to show what he's made of. I'm excited. I'm hyped. It's funny because the Kings, um, they, you know, every team put out new jerseys and every team had media day this week, right? And so, you know, you see all the new threads, you see all the, like the new pictures and whatever. And I saw Fox and I totally forgot he cut his hair. And I yeah. was like, who the fuck is this guy? I was like, why are they featuring him, featuring him so prominent? And you can't even tell at all. Um, but, but, but yeah, we'll see. We'll, we'll see what that Fox healed Halliburton trio looks like. But um, ready to get going. John Wall's making his debut in Houston. I don't know if you heard, but he got traded. Um, and so they're, they're kicking off tomorrow, tipping off tomorrow. And, and I think he's going to play. So we'll see what happens. Can we, can we talk about the, um, so forget about John Wall for a second. Can we talk about the Wizards, like media picks and the clips coming out and like Westbrook is cheesing everywhere and everyone's talking about like the vibe he's bringing. Like, are you not getting hyped by? I am. By I am. Them? I've done the full 180. I don't know where I was last week. I was like three glasses of whiskey deep, but I'm all in. And the elephant in the room is the team and Beal specifically look almost a thousand times happier. Um, yeah. And in some ways, they didn't have Wall at all, right? They just had his contract. So they just ha- didn't have him for two years. So now they finally have that second star. I don't know, man. Westbrook always says and does the right things. And he means well. But when he's between the lines, he only plays one style <laughs> and he's never changed. So I don't know what's going to happen. But we're going to get into the Wizards. We're going to get into set 14 other teams in the Eastern Conference today because it's the start of our second annual Over-Unders podcast. You got the Eastern Conference coming this week, uh, Western Conference coming next week, and then we'll try to squeeze one more last preview in should we, uh, before the season starts with our crazy crazy predictions. Maybe we'll, you know, last, last year we went Ben Simmons 33s. I think he made <laughs> one, so maybe we'll temper that a little bit, but... Um, so it should be noted, I think I was smashing you in our, in our, uh, over-unders last year, but of course with coronavirus, the season ending, the bubble, all the weird stuff, we never actually kind of figured out where it all landed. We're going to keep a lot closer of an eye uh, on it this time around. And we got, we got some money in the pot, me, you and Kush, our executive producer, and we're going to see what happens. I love it. I love it. And yeah, who knows how we did last season. I don't think I was doing that well. Um, but my locks, you know, my Miami Heat lock, you know, I was I was cashing out on that one at least. So, all right, uh, and we're gonna find out. So we're gonna do two locks per conference. All right, I forgot yep. to tell you this before, so figure it out which ones you want. Um, all right, here's how it's gonna work. We're gonna go in alphabetical order. So we'll start with the Atlanta Hawks. We'll go all the way through to the Washington Wizards. Spend a few minutes batting this around, um, and. There's a few things to keep in mind uh, as we go through this exercise. One is that, of course, they're only playing 72 games this year, right? So I'll give you this the 72-game total. And for you and for those listening, I'll also read off the full season total so you can get a frame of reference for what that actually means in a real year. 
Yep. We'll talk about what place they finished last season, what their offensive rating, defensive rating was, and who their primary rotation seems to be. Now, it's eight guys we've listed to our best of our abilities. Don't kill us if we get like some random rookie you're super hyped <laughs> on wrong. Like we're doing our best over here. Nobody knows who's starting exactly and who's playing. So um, you ready to go? I'm ready, man. Let's go. All right. And before that, there's a couple things I think that's worth talking about for two minutes. One is this is the strangest NBA full season that I could ever remember, right? The bubble was the weirdest finish to a season. Now we go into a season where coronavirus is raging through the country, right? 3,000 people you know, died yesterday, which is tragic. And now we're starting to start a professional league. Um, other leagues are, of course, in, in flight, but none are indoors and none come to the proximity of basketball. Um, you know, football, you're in pads, only a few people touch the ball, et cetera. So we have no idea what coronavirus is going to do. Secondly, because of how little rest teams like the Lakers and Heat have, we have no idea what the rest management plan is going to be for a lot of these guys. Mm -hmm. There's some fines in place for nationally televised games and such, but I don't think LeBron and AD are out here logging 65 plus games this season. So what is that going to mean? And thirdly, they are traveling, they are playing in stadiums, but for the most part, these are going to be largely empty stadiums. Um, and I think the bubble is a little different because it's a more confined space, but now you're playing in sort of 20,000 th 20, seat arenas that are entirely empty. And I think that's going to really screw up some shooting early on. Anything else you want to add as context before we get into probably the hardest version of over-unders? No, I mean, you, you've, you've summed it all well. It's just, it's been a hectic off season. There's, you know, the draft, the time between the draft and the actual season is shorter than ever. Yep. No real training camp. These rookies have like, They've barely gotten into the, into the door. Now they're they're playing their first preseason game tomorrow. So, um, yeah, it's, we're going to see some wonky things, I think, early on. But yeah, absolutely, I forgot about that. The timeline is crazy with all the free agency and, and trade activity, plus the draft. None of these guys have had any experience. I think Chris Paul was talking about this is the first time he's gone into a season having never even played with his teammates, not even pickup. Yeah, um, and we'll, we'll, we'll you know maybe we'll see that rust early on. So let's get going. First up, we got the Atlanta Hawks, who made headlines this offseason. So their total wins are 36.5. Spread out to a full season would be 41.6, so slightly over 500. They finished 14th last year in the East, 26th on offense, 27th on defense. But you could throw that all out the window because they have a totally new team. It's Trey Young, John Collins, Gallinari, Bogdanovich, Capella, Kevin Herter. DeAndre Hunter, Cam Reddish. So some new faces, couple, a uh, couple, you know, carryovers, but a lot more youth that's hopefully developed since last season. So where are you landing on the Hawks at thirty six point five? I got to be consistent. I've been hard on them with the last couple of pods. I'm going with the under. I'm going with the under. I, I like I said, the moves they made are win not moves. They're going to be a better team. But when I look at the rest of the East, I see them slotting into the eighth or ninth slot. Yeah. And by my calculations, that puts them around 39, 40 wins. Um, and they're going to fall short. Now, look, 41.6, this is a 17 win improvement over last season. Now, that's achievable given the pieces they added. But is the team that much better? Are Gallinari and Bogdanovich and, uh, you know, like a full, full season of Capella? Yeah, full season of Capella. Are they yeah. adding 17 wins? That's a lot. I don't think so. They haven't addressed their main issue, which is their their defensive kind of just ineptitude, where yeah. I think you mentioned they're second to last or last in defensive rating, maybe. Yeah, 27th. 27th. So they're bottom five. 
Um, and that's going to limit their ceiling. I think offensively they're going to be more efficient, but it, they're still not going to be a, a juggernaut. So I'm going with the under. Yeah, I'm actually an under as well. And I, I was with you last week. We were talking about this or two weeks ago. And just I didn't love the moves um, in the sense of let me sorry, let me say this. I loved them for what they was out there and what they had the power to wield to do in a summer where they could kind of dictate the offseason more than next year where half the league has cap space. So from that perspective, I liked it. But yeah, 17 wins, you know, again, prorated, et cetera, is a lot to make up, right? It's a lot to make up. And I've been a little bit more of a Trey fan than like NBA Twitter sphere because he's like the prototypical guy that blog boys hate um, because he looks awesome on paper. The stats look great. And then you peel back the onion and look at one advanced number and he's like, what the fuck? This guy should be out of the league. I'm not going that far on him. But at the same time, can he be the fulcrum of your offense? Yes. Can he be the fulcrum of your defense in any capacity? No. And they, they don't have the players around him like Isaiah Thomas did in Boston that year. They made the conference finals, right? Which is the closest comp in terms of his defensive limitation. So I'm going under as well. Um, Kush says under sets so trifecta there. He says too much hype. They'll start slow. Trey will get bored, end up partying too much with Migos, get COVID <laughs> and miss a month. And it's actually a good point. Cause he just released his sneaker today or released announcement that he's coming out with the sneaker. So his mind may be in five different places. None of which are the Atlanta Hawks. Yep. I'm all glad right. we're all on the under. Great. All right. The next up Boston Celtics, their total wins is 45.5, which over 82 games comes out to 51.8. So right under 52 last year, of course, they made it to the Eastern conference finals, losing to the Miami heat. They finished fourth in offense, fourth in defense. The only team in the East to actually finish top five in both. And that includes the Milwaukee bucks. Um, you know, their primary rotation, you got Jason Tatum, uh, Jalen Brown, Kemba Walker, who looks like he's going to be out till January, Marcus Smart, Tristan Thompson, Jeff Teague, Daniel Tice, and Robert Time Lord Williams. What say you? I'm going with the over. So I, I think Brad Stevens, you know, death taxes and 51 seasons for, for Brad Stevens and the Celtics. The last four seasons, um, three of the four seasons, they cleared 50 wins. And the one where they did it, they're at 49. Okay, so you're asking them to get... 52 um it's a four point drop if you extrapolate last season's win total they had about 55 56 uh and look they they lost they lost um uh what's his name oh my god gordon hayward gordon hayward right? yeah i was like wait who did they lose they lost gordon <laughs> hayward but ultimately gordon hayward was he was a fourth guy in their rotation he didn't he, he averaged i mean he played a pivotal role for them in the regular season uh, i think people forget he averaged 17 a game yeah. um but it actually cl- cleans up the rotation a little bit, taking him out. And they've got Tristan Thompson and Teague replacing Daniel Tice and Brad Wanamaker. So there's clear upgrades there. Um, and I, I don't, I don't know see how the team really works. Je- can Jeff B. Teague be called a clear upgrade over anybody at this point in his career? Maybe not, but he's not being asked to do, <laughs> to do much at all. He's not um, Brad Wanamaker. Yeah, but although the, they are, like you said, going to be without Kemba, so that's the that's the part, part that give you a little bit of cause for concern. Yeah, but I, I just trust in Brad Stevens, man. There's this is a regular season team; they keep it kind of just churning. They're going to hit the over. Yeah, I mean, I trust Jason Tatum. Um, I'm going over as well. He's a top five player in the conference, um, and I think he started to figure it out in the tail end of uh, the pre shutdown season. I think. 
it continued in the bubble, but it was a little bit more uneven. I think there was a multitude of factors. I mean, he's spoken about missing his family, et cetera, whatever. Everyone was missing their family. But at the same time, I think Tatum and Brown can really take that next leap. And Tatum's got a lot to live up to now. He's got the max deal. Brown's got the near max deal. Um, they have to carry a big offensive load without Kemba. But I think if you look at those those games with Miami, Kemba was – we're not far away from Kemba being an untradeable contract. Mm-hmm. I'll say that much. Yeah. Right. And I, and I and I know that we I, I mean that in jest because John Wall just got on untra- just got traded and he's got three years left on a Supermax. But Kemba's knees are worrisome. So that would be the only concern. Do they have enough offense if Walker's only going to play 40, 35, 30 games this season? Um, Marcus Smart is not going to be able to step in and score 20. So really, you're talking about Gordon Hayward and potentially Kemba Walker, which is now you know close to 40 points a, a, a night that you have to replace on most nights. And Teague won't give it to you. You know, Tristan Thompson's an 11 and 10 kind of guy, right? He's not going to go fill it up. I thought that it was interesting, the Gordon Hayward sign-and-trade debacle. They could have gotten Miles Turner and Doug McDermott. That's how low they think of Miles Turner, to think he's not even worth on a decent contract. And and I thought that could have been actually an interesting trade for them. So the other the other factor is, are there young guys ready to step up? They have like 87 draft picks over the last five years that all want to play. And Romeo Langford, you know, the kid from Tennessee that I'm forgetting, Williams, I think. Um, you know, they got a couple of picks this year. I don't think any of those guys are going to factor in, but I'm still going to go over trusting Tatum. Kush says over as well. So, okay, we're not off to a very controversial start. He says over. I wasn't ever going to say anything else right. As a Boston fan, I I know that sentiment far too often from them. So that's an over for all three of us. Next up, this is a fun one. We got the Brooklyn Nets. They are at 45.5, full season 51.8, so just the same as the Celtics. I'm, almost, I'm not going to read you what happened last year. It doesn't fucking matter. Um, their roster coming up is Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, Karis LeVert, Spencer Dinwiddie, Jared Allen, DeAndre Jordan, Joe Harris, and Torian Prince. KD is going to be awesome. I'm going under, though. Okay. And this is a pure guess on load management. I just don't think those guys are going to play enough for them to, and, and nor do they have a desire or an interest in getting the one seed or the two seed, especially if like, as of now, let's say the first round's in April. It's unlikely that there's going to be fans in April, right? Like I know they're rolling out, you know, good news on the vaccine front as we pivot to becoming a pharma, you know, pharmaceutical podcast, but it's not going to be prevalent enough in April, I don't think, where we're going to expect factories. I don't. I think they're just trying to get to the playoffs healthy, and I think they're trying to gel with KD, Kyrie, a new coach, and Steve Nash. And even though a lot of that core is the same, you can't just throw in Kevin Durant and call it the same core. He is the focal point. He is where all the gravitational force is going to be, and they're going to have to figure out how to play together. I think it's going to work. I think this team's going to be really, really good, but that combine, combined with games missed, combined with any type of risk of Durant post Achilles, I'm going under. I'm going under as well. So we're, we're three for three so far. Look, I mean, I I love I love what this team's going to look like in terms of a watchability standpoint. But I think you're spot on. Like for, the other thing is, we have yet to see what Katie looks like coming off Achilles injury. Right? He's yeah. he's going to take a little bit of time to get back into it. Um, even and and even Kyrie's injury history, I don't trust him. 
Kyrie also has trouble staying on the floor. So are these guys both going to play 82 games? Likely not. There could be some load management happening as well, like you said. And ultimately, Steve Nash, first-time coach, he doesn't have a system. He doesn't have any kind of you know scheme to easily fall back on that's you know going to give a high floor to this team. It's gonna, They're going to be coasting on talent. And talent will win them a lot of games, but at the same time, there's going to be some growing pains. They're going to have guys sitting out, and they're going to lose enough um, to be, you know, in that high 40s range. But like you said, they're going to be gearing up for the postseason. To them, that's all that matters. KD, Kyrie, they've they've gone through the gauntlet. They know what that's like, and they know that that's more important than um, playing a full 82 game season. Those guys don't have anything to prove there. So um, I I totally agree on the under. I'm pretty confident on that one too. Not lock territory though for you. Not lock. Not lock. You can't go lock under on a Kevin Durant team. I think no. it's funny though. I will say one thing because I think this is probably one of the three most interesting teams this season, right? Especially if they make a play for James Harden, right? Like that's the great unknown. He's probably the last domino to fall in terms of player movement for this season. And while, you know, we're not doing the West till next week, so maybe we have a resolution he could easily and most likely will come out east, like the four teams he named, assuming the Rockets said you're not going to be traded in conference, were the Bucks, the Heat, the Sixers, and the Nets. And you could argue the Nets or the Bucks have, you know, pretty worthless offers, but you know, we've seen crazier things. So what I would say about the Nets is a hardened trade notwithstanding, do you think it's a little bit curious? I know Durant, like I mentioned this last week, Durant is as great of a player in his prime as has ever been through this injury, right? The Achilles. But the way people are just writing off a guy like Wall or writing off past dudes like, to a lesser extent, Wes Matthews, Rudy Gay, they're not doing it for Durant at all. Don't you think there's at least a little bit of a concern? I know he's a shooter, but he's almost as good of a defender at this point as he is offensively. Can he still move laterally, right? The same thing I would say about Klay Thompson coming back next year. A lot of people are like, oh, it's fine. He can shoot. He can stand there. But there's more to these guys' games than I think what people are saying. What are we expecting him in terms of percent of his peak is it 90 is it 80 and is 80 percent of Durant still you know MVP close or close to MVP level I mean I think that's exactly it people assume that he's going to be at least 80 or 90 percent and 80 or 90 percent Durant is is awesome but I you know a guy with that lanky frame um and you know for he's not a, like you said he's not a pure shooter he does plant off that leg and drives to the rim he's a guy who you know in a two three steps can get to the rim and it's going to be hard to plant that foot. He's not going to feel as comfortable. He might be settling for more jumpers. Like, yeah. I don't know what it's going to look like, but I, I definitely think it's we're going to see an impact. He's not coming back 30 points a game right off the bat. Right. So I, I don't think people want to – people just don't – you know, you always give a superstar credit that they're going to come back and look better than ever, but I, I think everyone's going to be in for a little bit of a surprise with KD. All I'm saying is the NBA, like, rankings came out, and he only slipped to sixth, which – or something like uh, that. First of all, you got to stop looking at the ESPN rankings. Like, DeMar DeRozan at 82 is really offensive. Wasn't Zion top 20? He was 19. That, that tells you everything. And Luca was four ahead of Kawhi. <laughs> well, that I might agree with, actually. Come on. No, all I'm right. Kidding. Kidding. We'll see. All right. Next up, the Charlotte Hornets, 25 and a half which projects to a 29-win team out of 82. They finished ninth last year, 29th on offense, 24th on defense. The big signing, as we alluded to, was Gordon Hayward. He's joined by number three overall pick, Lonzo uh, Lamelo Ball. Excuse me. You got uh, 
Devontae Graham last year's, I think, uh, second runner-up on most improved player or somewhere in the top five. P.J. Washington, Miles Bridges, Terry Rozier, Tyler Zeller, and Cody Martin, I think. I didn't know who their eighth guy was. So I picked <laughs> who I thought I heard of last year. Uh, what do you got? I got the over. Give me the over oh, on the Charlotte Hornets. Look, this projection, this win-loss projection is the same as last season. Um but they're clearly making moves right now to become a contender ASAP. I think we all agree that these were not the right moves to make for this team. Going after that you know, three, four years, $120 million for Gordon Hayward uh, to a team that ultimately is not going anywhere, it's not good team management. We can make fun of Michael Jordan. Oh, that's fine. But you're telling me that's not going to buy them a couple of wins? Hayward, despite all his flaws, is a huge, huge wing upgrade over Nick Batum. And they're already – you know, the team – was lacking steady play from the wing last year. That was one of their key issues. So you're getting Hayward to fill in that gap. You got a bunch of young guys who are only going to be improving. LaMelo's a mixed bag, but guess what? His style of play will fit with what they want to do on offense. And this is a team that finished 29th in offensive efficiency, despite, you know, a good amount of shooters and scorers. Hopefully LaMelo can unlock something out of those guys, you know, make some plays. Uh, and this team, you know, they're going to, they're going to win a couple more games. So I'm I'm pretty confident. This isn't my lock, but I'm pretty confident on the over. A lot of confidence for a wrong answer. We have our first disagreement, ladies and gentlemen. Um, I'm going under. Charlotte, to me, they made panicked moves. They also made moves that I don't know entirely know makes if they make sense. I would never say if you're drafting at three, you should draft for need. So that's fine if they took LaMelo and thought that, that, that was the top guy on his board. You have LaMelo, Rozier, and Devontae Graham, all who are point guards. I'm not saying that you need to plan around those other two, but for this season and for this season's win total, there is some um, element of three guys who handle the ball, plus Gordon Hayward, who this stage of his career, plus in his Utah days, was more of a playmaker facilitator. Miles Bridges looks better than he actually is um, when you look at the numbers. P.J. Washington's actually a good player, but where's the rim protection? Where's uh, you know any type of center down low presence the shooting is very suspect like they could you name even one plus shooter on this team uh, i don't get it i hayward fine you wanted to try to bring up bring about a culture of respect and maybe Lamelo becomes very very good but the number one thing about rookie point guards is they all struggle uh Lamelo is different than most and that he's even more raw than some of the guys we've seen come in like the john walls the kyrie irvings um the Damian Lillard, some of the more actually like polished players who have come into the league and who have still struggled as rookies. Um, I expect no difference. In fact, probably a little bit more on that front from LaMelo, and I'm going under. Kush says, by the way, here, first let me read the Kush Nets pick because I think I forgot that. He said over, you know, we were both under. He said KD, KD and Kyrie. Should we just call him KD? <laughs> Is that the new thing? Did I just create like Gunnifer? Katie and Kyrie in their first years together will ball out. Kyrie needs one season before he turns on everyone. And that might be true, actually. He hasn't uh, hasn't extinguished his honeymoon. But, okay, back to the Hornets. He says, over, trust the pop coaching tree in the regular season. All right, he's given James Uh Borrego a little credit. Props for that research. Hayward on Utah vibes, and that team won games. So he thinks Hayward's going to come back to the player he was a few years ago. I am less hopeful of that it sounds like maybe you're more aligned with where where he's going with it 
Did you not see the mint green city jerseys that the Hornets are rocking? Those are season? fucking tight. Yeah, I thought that itself would swing your your uh, sentiment towards this team. If they had done it in black with like a mint, like sort of, you know, just stripe. like a stripe or something, just like a mint accent, then I'd be all over this over. Those those jerseys were ridiculous. There's no doubt about that. They had the best city jerseys this side of San Antonio. Phoenix? You're not yeah. going to talk about Phoenix? The Valley is cool, but it gives me some like – it's weird because the way they do the like block of the colors, it gives me some like Tetris, Atari vibe. Video game kinda. feel, yeah. Yeah, and I don't understand that exactly. All right. All right. Next up, the hometown team, the Chicago Bulls. Total wins 30 and a half. Uh, full season 34.7, 11th last year in the East, 27th on offense, 12th on defense. Largely a unchanged top eight. Uh, they got Zach Levine, Lori Markinen, Wendell Carter, Kobe White, Otto Porter. <laughs> 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 Tomas Sadoransky, Patrick Williams, the number four pick in this year's draft, and Denzel Valentine. I went over. Um, I want to see a team locally win and generate some excitement. The city's been down with the Bulls, down with the Cubs. Uh, they need some. They need a positive uh, experience here. And I think the upgrade from Boylan to Donovan cannot be overstated. Uh, Donovan was immediately successful in the NBA coming off Florida. Uh, when he went to Oklahoma City. I know that was a team that was well-equipped to win, but at the same time, you know, losing Durant, then losing Paul George, then losing Westbrook, uh, I thought no matter what that roster looked like, he always made them competitive, well-coached. They play good defense. There's a lot to work with talent-wise here. I've always been a Zach Levine supporter, but there's a lot of guys who have shown a total indifference to defense, starting with Zach Levine. And so how does he get them to change that tune? How does he get a full season of health from Wendell Carter to really anchor that back line. And can Wendell Carter and Markkinen play together? Or are they too slow-footed? This was one of the concerns when they drafted them both back-to-back years. Would they be on the floor together or not? And you have Otto Porter, who's just out here chasing IG. He's the number one IG thought chaser right now in the league. He needs to get his shit together. It is a contract year for him, so I expect him to play a little bit better. And therefore, I'm going to go over. Okay. Okay. Well, uh, first of all, I hope you remember that last year we got burned on this. We both went over. I think this um, was their over under was thirty two and a half. <laughs> and um, yeah, so just just a reminder there that we both went over and they they fell short. I'm still going over now. Um, I'm also I think I like a lot of the pieces on this team, just like you. It's a tantalizing roster, man. Like they've got a lot of talent and. Boylan was possibly the worst coach to try to bring it out. I don't think people understand just how big of a disaster their season was last year. It was not just a product of them, you know, not having the right guys or underperforming. It was just a shit show from start to finish with Boylan. And so I think Billy Donovan, like you said, brings some stability to that organization. You know, I I always thought Billy Donovan's an okay coach. I think last year is what turned me around really on him and what a lot of people around on him given how he was able to maximize the talent on that team, how he was able to get a lot out of the young guys on that team, which is what the Chicago Bulls are going to need. Um, the only thing that makes me skeptical about this over is you got new management in place. Um, you know, if they may make some big 
big moves during the season if they see things going away that they don't like. You know, they're not wed to any of these guys. And so I'm always wary of those kinds of teams because, um, you know, they make Mike a big they might make a big pivot and trade some of these pieces away if things aren't going great. So um, but I'm going with the over as well. Yeah, I mean, it's a good point, right? Because they have a new GM and a new coach, which means that you reset the reset the patience meter to some degree. Nobody's in a rush to try to make the playoffs immediately. Nobody's trying to go win a title right away or make the eighth seed to get swept. Yes, the fans are frustrated, but the ownership, in theory, would give these guys a little bit of runway to figure it out, right? So you got the guy from Denver's name I can't pronounce, so I won't try. You got Donovan. And I think pulling the plug, if it's not working, is actually a very possible outcome because there's a lot of guys on this team who have real trade value, starting with Wendell Carter, in fact. And so I think that's going to be very interesting. Could they turn into a team that starts hoarding bad contracts maybe to like clear up cap space from others, get some assets back. The next couple of drafts are loaded. So this is another one that I think we'll probably be wrong on, but fuck it. Um, Kush says over (laughs) as well. He says, I wanted to go under on all the East teams below the wizards, but couldn't do that. So the bulls got switched to over purely because I enjoyed my time in Chicago. And for those who don't know, Kush, he had a good time in Chicago, needless to say. Um, all right. Next up, we have – this is a, just a swoon of bad teams, but we have the Cleveland Cavaliers up. Um, their total wins is 22.5, which projects out to just under 26 for a full season. They finished dead last in the East last year, uh, 25th in offense, 29th in defense. Um Their primary rotation, Kevin Love is back. Andre Drummond opted in. So those are two sort of weirdly big names on on a pretty bad team. They have uh, Colin Sexton, Darius Garland, um, Kevin Porter Jr., Larry Nance, Chetty Osman, and first-round pick, sixth overall, Isaac Okoro. What's up? What do you got? I'm going with the under. This team is all in on the youth movement. Um, I mean, really, their goal should be getting Okoro, Sexton, Garland, Porter as much playing time as possible. Uh, I don't think Love, that contract can, I don't think it will get moved, but that possibility still looms there. You always think these deals can't get moved until all of a sudden you see some team talking themselves into into Kevin Love, and Cleveland will gladly move it, right? So Drummond, Love, like this, Tristan's actually was really good for them last year. He was providing them a lot even on offense and defense and um i think just losing him is a a hit to their win total so i i'm gonna go with under i'm going over this is insanity I i shouldn't do this but i'm going over i think that there's no my thought here is i liked what i saw out of sexton in year two i really thought he took a step up And I'm hoping for something similar for Garland. Now Sexton's in year three. So he can continue maturing. He was close to 20 points a game last year, seven, eight assists. I think if he can get over that hump, he can actually provide, you know, like a real floor general type role for this team. Secondly, I don't really think that they had anybody who could play defense at all last year, especially with Drummond was a late season ad. He's not really that good at defense, but he's at least good on the glass. Kevin Love, similarly, not a great defender, but good on the glass. If they end up keeping those two around this season, which I expect that they might, um, then I think at least they win the rebounding battle. I think Okoro is actually going to come in and play right away and be good right away defensively. 
Um, his offense leaves a lot to be desired, but on this team, there's plenty of dudes who are willing to take shots, right? That's not going to be the concern. I think if he can at least play defense, at least provide some type of perimeter, you know, deterrence, then Drummond, who is not your prototypical rim protector and actually not very good at it, you know, has a little bit of help. Garland and Sexton are turnstiles. This is not going to change to a large degree. This line is pretty low, right? This is the lowest line in the Eastern Conference tied with the Knicks. Um, not to to spoil the, the next part of the segment, but one of these teams has to be good. I'm just going to hope that it's the Cavs. Cush is going the other way. He says, under, you cannot make this line low enough. This is one of the worst rosters I've ever <laughs> seen. You couldn't pay me to watch this team play. Okay, then. Tell us how you really feel, Cush. I mean, I don't know. Like, you're talking yourselves into, what, a defensive improvement for the Cavs this year based off of what? Where is the defense coming from? A healthy I, love? No. Isaac Okoro, this rookie who's probably going to see, like, 15 Just from Okoro, he's going <laughs> to add, like, 10 wins. Okay, well, I, I get your point, though. There are the lowest win uh, over-under, so they could easily hit the over and still be terrible. Um, I, I just think they don't have enough, so... All right. Fair enough. Okay, great. So the next up, we have the Detroit Pistons. Their total wins is 23 and a half. Full season, that's 26.8. They finished 13th in the East, 24th, 21st on offense, 22nd on defense. You got Blake Griffin, Derek Rose, new signings, Jeremy Grant, Mason Plumley. Um, they have uh, Killian Hayes, a rookie. Sakuda Boya, who was their rookie last year, Tony Snell, and I wrote one more name named Wright, and I don't even remember Darrell Wright. Uh, <laughs> there you go. That that, that says about Delon all you Wright. Say, but Delon Wright. Yeah, Darrell Wright retired like five years ago. That says all you need to say <laughs> about the Detroit Pistons. They are my lock under. I think this team is terrible. I think none of the players fit together. Wow. I have no fucking clue what they're doing. And I do expect Blake Griffin, if he even shows a semblance of his 2018-19 self, to be playing for a different team by season's end. This is a lock under for me. Wow. Okay. I'm going to go with the over. And this is, you know, one of these bottom-feeding teams has to hit the over. You pick the Cavs. I pick the Pistons. Look, Blake played 18 games last season. You know what the Pistons went in those 18 games? 8 and 10. They were flirting with 500. Should and we put up a banner? You're asking them to hit. <laughs> so he only played 18 games, and they hit 25 wins over an 82-game pace. You're asking them for two more wins, and Blake's going to play at least 50 this season. He's healthy. For He's, which team? You know, had a long, long offseason. You're right. Maybe he gets moved, but... Look, the, the moves that the Pistons were making this offseason showed that they still want to be competitive. They aren't bottoming out. They lost Christian Wood, which, you know, and they replaced him with Jeremy Grant. Contract-wise, I don't know if they, you know, they, they splurged a lot to get Jeremy Grant, but he's still, talent-wise, a replacement, albeit an expensive replacement. Um, I mean, an upgrade, albeit an expensive upgrade. Wayne Ellington, Don Wright, they're all good to shore up guard and wing depth. Um, to, you know, to make up for the losses of Luke Kennard and Tony Snell. But this team, like I said, if Blake just plays 50 games, they're going to be at least a 30-win team. So I'm going with the over. I don't think they're going to be as bad as everyone thinks they will be. 
Uh, and so we disagree on this one. The problem with Detroit is even if they don't trade Blake and even if he stays healthy, I think the East has also gotten a lot better, right? Like that's the thing that we're, we, we keep talking about what they did last year, et cetera. There's teams that are not going to be the walkover wins that they were last year. Even the ones that are going to be in that 8, 9, 10 range. Like you, you talked about the Hawks, right? The Wizards, even the Bulls, who Billy Donovan, like all those teams are not going to be the cakewalks they were, even for a team like Detroit where nobody's a, nobody, no opponent's a cakewalk. You know, there's nothing to say that there's a bunch of easy wins on the schedule. Further down the East, yes, the Cavs, the Knicks, et cetera. But I think those teams are starting to become far and few between. And when you're talking toss-ups, when you're talking, you know, a team that doesn't really positionally fit, maybe I'm underrating Blake. He made All-NBA in his last full healthy season, and there's a chance he still has that in him. He's not that old. He's only 32, I think. And so it's possible I'm underrating him. Kush is with me on this. He says under Detroit and I are the same in that we both wish it was 2009. Them with Blake <laughs> and Rose, me living the dream as a junior in college. Kush, you went to BU, so it probably wasn't that fun, but I, I appreciate <laughs> the sentiment. Says the V-Tech guy. Come on, man. I didn't say that I got a great job coming out of college. I said I had a lot of fun there. <laughs> but uh, all right. Anything else on the Pistons? Too much time on the Pistons already. We got the next no, three I, teams. Pistons Cavs is going to be must-watch television for us. Uh, you know, just seeing who's going to duke it out and hit the over. <laughs> I'm going to text you every teams. time Isaac Okoro gets a defensive stop. All right, <laughs> Indiana Pacers, uh, thirty-nine and a half for their total wins. That's forty-five over the course of the season. They it feels like they go forty-five and thirty-seven every season um, that's ever existed. They got knocked out in the first round last year by the Heat, finished 19th on offense, 6th on defense. Their rotation is interesting. They bring back, in theory, a healthy Victor Oladipo. Uh, First-time All-Star, Domitas Sabonis. Miles Turner, as we talked about, the trade to Boston did not go through. Malcolm Brogdon, TJ Warren, Doug McDermott, Doug McDermott, Justin Holiday, and TJ McConnell. I'm going under. Um, I thought that the Pacers, although I always pick under on them, it's like a rite of passage. One of my best friends, Justin's a Pacers fan. I am a Wizards fan. Every year I overrate the Wizards, underrate the Pacers, and he makes me crow exactly two months into the season. And if it's an annual tradition, I don't want to break it this year. I'm going under on the Pacers. I think that Oladipo is a shell of his former self. I think he's got one foot out the door regardless of what he says. He's already eyeing that 21 free agency. Um, I think that's going to hold a shadow of the team. The Turner-Sabonis thing doesn't fit. Uh, Malcolm Brogdon, while he is a very solid player, um, I don't think he's necessarily the type of off-the-dribble you know, off creator that they need, especially if Oladipo's hampered at all. In theory, that's Oladipo's role, but we'll see. Um, you know, Warren was a fucking revelation in the bubble. Uh, he's a good mm-hmm. player. He's not going to be that. Um, so we'll see what happens. And you know, the rest of the guys are too white. They're kind of just too slow, and I'm going under here. All right, all right. I'm going with the over. I'm going with the over on the Pacers. I'm a believer in Nate Bjorken, uh, their new head coach. Now, this is a guy who he made his bones in the advanced analytics department with Toronto before he was hired as an assistant coach under Nurse. And I love everything about Nurse. I love everything about that system. Uh, And this guy was, like I said, part of that advanced analytics department that helped reshape that Toronto team. So – 
There was also talk in Indiana about how under Mate McMillan, I think uh, Miles Turner had a quote saying that they were running many of the same offensive sets as they did with Frank Vogel. Frank Vogel, who left the Pacers how many years ago? <laughs> Five years ago? And so this team has been kind of treading in place and still hitting that 45, 50 wins with Nate McMillan. This reminds me of taking a team with Dwayne Casey as the head coach, like Toronto, a guy who's just running back a, a talented roster. They do pretty well. They can't kind of overcome that. Um and you replace him with Nick Nurse, a guy who is really analytics-driven, uh, building the right kind of culture. I think that same thing's going to happen here with Nate Bjorken. And I think he's going to find a way to make Turner work, Turner and um, uh, Sabonis. So, and Oladipo is a big wild card, but I think he wasn't healthy fully last year either. So I think, you know, this year hopefully um, he's revitalized. If he is playing for 2021 free agency, he has something to play for. Um, so I think this team is going to be an over 45 wins. And I think they hit 50, they're at a 50 win pace last year. So this is a five win drop. So my thing is like, I got a slight under, I don't think they're going to miss the playoffs or be like totally out of contention, but I just don't see them getting a higher than five, in which case they're going to be right in that 45 win park. And if some team like Atlanta or Washington ends up exceeding expectations, this could be the one that takes a hit. Now, don't give me this Nate Bjorken shit like Nick Nurse is like everything he touches is he's turning to gold. This is what happened with Bill Belichick. And then <laughs> suddenly we get Romeo Cornell. We get Charlie Weiss. We get, you know, Josh McDaniels, Matt Patricia, Bill O'Brien. This is what exactly what happens. Nick Nurse is a phenomenal coach. Nate Bjorken, I'm sure, has all the right numbers and formulas in his Excel spreadsheets. But until he can actually step between the lines and do something as a coach, I reserve the right to hold my judgment. Truth be told, I knew they got a new coach. I had no fucking clue who it was. I couldn't remember. And I was almost about to say Dave Yeager, so I'm glad you you brought it up before I did. Uh. Um, Kush uh. says, he says under. He said, don't know what to think of this team. Rosters as boring as the state of Indiana. That's hurtful. Um, as a Midwesterner now, I can say Indiana has some nice highways and can't wait to get back there. I feel like Kush is is making these over unders based on where he wants to to go, you know, post up for vacation. Yeah, <laughs> he's like he's no to Indiana, no to Detroit, <laughs> lock no over on the Pel- lock over on the Pelicans. I'm calling it next week. He's taking over on Miami. I, yeah, let's see. <laughs> All right, that the next team up, the Miami Heat, forty four and a half puts them on a fifty one win pace. Of course, their finish last year was the finals as a five seed. Um, 7th in offense, 11th in defense. Uh, they bring back largely the same core. A couple players shifted in and out, but they have Jimmy Butler, Bam Adebayo, fresh off a new five-year max, Goran Dragic, who came back for a year, Tyler Hero, who the Heat won't even trade for prime Michael Jordan, I'm pretty sure, Kendrick mm-hmm. Nunn, Duncan Robinson, Andre Iguodala, and Mo Harkless. What do you got? I think you go first on this one, right? Am I first? All right. Oh, no, I, I go got- first. Do it. No, I go first. I go first. On this you one. love this team. Why don't you do it? I go under. I am going under on the Miami. Look, I, I last year this was my lock of the century. My, t- you know, empty out your savings account, put it on the over. I was right. I'm going the other way this time. I'm going under. Now this was a team. If you think about last year, they actually started out hot, really hot. 
Um, but they were playing a funky rotation. Like Myers Leonard was getting a lot of big minutes early on. The Miami Heat team that we saw in the postseason was not the Miami Heat team that started out hot. Second half of the year, January on, they were a 500 team from January on. That's a you know a bulk of the season. And so this team overperformed in some ways last year. Um, I think they'll still be very good, but given the vets they have, Dragic, Butler, Iggy, there's going to be some nagging injuries along the way. These guys are going to sit a couple of games here and there out. Uh, they lost two key rotation pieces in Dre Crowder, Jay Crowder and Derek Jones Jr. Now they also replaced them with, I think Bradley and Harkless were good replacements, but you know I don't think it's going to be smooth sailing for this team. They'll be a good postseason team. I don't see them hitting fifty-one. I see them hitting forty-nine, fifty. I don't disagree that they overachieved. I think the finals was not expected that soon and with that roster. However, I still see them in the top half of the Eastern Conference, and therefore I'm going with a very slight over. I think. With Butler and Adebayo, who is Adebayo took such a leap in year two, year three, he could have honestly won most improved player a year again. I thought that Dragic is a year older, but his game is going to age well. Hero is going to have more experience. And, you know, as much as we joke, he is a budding star. I think Duncan Robinson, even more comfortable in that offense. And I thought that the moves of Crowder and Bradley were actually quite impressive. One of the problems they had in the finals was they didn't really have a guy who could check Rondo, incidentally enough. And in general, you look at their guards and there's really no one that's a good man-to-man defender or someone you can put in on a Dame Lillard, on a Kyrie Irving, you know, on a Chris Paul. Now, Bradley is a little bit overrated as a defender, but he is a very good man defender on the ball. And I think I think he can bring that to them in the right matchup, just like he did for the Lakers. The other thing is the slight over possibility is the James Harden trade destination. This is my prediction of where he lands. I think they're going to put Tyler here on the deal. I think they're going to put Duncan Robinson. It won't be Bam, right? Bam's untouchable unless it's for Giannis maybe, but I think it's going to be Hero, Robinson, maybe none, and a bunch of assets. Um, and you could see a big three of Harden, Butler, and Bam out east so how about that it's interesting and, and i know a lot of people don't like that on the surface because of oh it's harden in the heat culture and he's gonna like that team is all about ball movement harden's all about iso but look pat riley's ruthless man and he's he wants another star he's always looking out for another star he doesn't care he will pull the trigger and make it work and they will make it work like harden at the end of the day is a top five talent of this decade um, and so that would be interesting if he goes there. So that, you know, if you're pricing that in, the over does look pretty nice, but I don't, look, I actually don't think it's going to happen. Look, Pat Riley is not about ball movement and work. He's about stars. All right. And he'll get the I know, stars. I yeah. He'll get the stars to do what he did. Think about when he acquired Shaq and Shaq is Harden's not Shaq. I get that. But Shaq was also coming off a pretty bad finals for him. Right. He had been called out reckless, relentlessly by Kobe for his work ethic. All of the things that you think of right now when you're thinking about James Harden. And what did he do? He came in, he played with Wade, he bought into the system, even though he was much more tenured than Wade. And they won a title in year two of being there. Now, Bam and Jimmy are more established in Miami right now than Wade was back then. And it still worked. Um, and I think if Harden really did come in, he would buy in. And like the ISO stuff, yes, that's true. But I think he can play a different way if the system 
forces it. I think Eric Spolstra is the type of coach who demands that out of his players and also demands accountability in a way that, you know, Steven Silas probably isn't going to right now. Or even Mike D'Antoni, who's been around for a long time, but hasn't really had that top tier of success. He doesn't have the rings that he can put on the table. Um, but, you know, don't need to discuss a hypothetical likely never going to happen hard in trade. But I think that's an interesting wrinkle. And even regardless, I'm going to go with the slight over. Curse it under. He said everyone acted like they won a ring last year because they won the finals. That's actually a red flag when you think you won when you actually lost. But he's right. Hero mm-hmm. too busy with IG thoughts to care about any of this. Bam got paid. He's not bothered. And half this team is getting COVID at some point with all the Miami clubs open. Let me actually zig- zag on this. They might be the best protected team from COVID because they're used to this. They've been living in Miami. When COVID has shut down the entire country except that city, every other team is screwed when they go visit. It's no, like the Miami every other South- team benefits. Because no, every like other team, those are the ones going out to the Miami clubs the night before the game because they, they're not used to that. They don't yeah, have access Yeah, and that's to where they're going to get COVID. That's my point. Then they're going to test positive. Oh. No, no, my, my point is the clubs won't be open, so those teams are now going to get a good night's rest, and they're going to beat the Heat. But they and are open in Miami. Not. It's the only city in the country that doesn't give a shit. They're going to be open there. Oh, they're still going to be open, you're saying, yeah. That, <laughs> they're well, open right now. Yeah. You can go down to Miami do whatever you want while thousands of people are dying in the streets. It doesn't make any sense. <laughs> I know, like, I know. Miami is fully functional at this point, but... Nonetheless, that's an interesting one. Those are your boys, and yeah, you bailed on them. We won't, you know, they won't forget it. Neither will I. Um, <laughs> next up, maybe the team on the hottest seat this season. That is the Milwaukee Bucks. Oh, we should note you have yet to use either of your locks. We're keeping an eye on it. I use one on the Pistons yep, and under, so they're coming up for you. We have six teams left. Milwaukee Bucks, forty-nine and a half. That translates to 56 and a half. And I think they were on pace for over 60 wins last year. Last year, of mm-hmm. course, they made it to Eastern Conference semis, lost to Miami. They got dumped. Eighth in offense, first in defense. Uh, they made a big trade early on in free agency to bring in Drew Holiday. He joins two-time MVP, DPOY Giannis, Chris Middleton, Brooke Lopez, Bobby Portis, Bryn Forbes, Pat Connaughton, and Torrey Craig, among others. So I went under. Okay. I think this is going to be wrong. So I, I wish I made it over. <laughs> and I kind of want to change it to over right now. But I went under. To me, okay, now I'm going to make an argument for something I don't even believe in at this point. But <laughs> the only thing I'd say is they've gotten the one seed. They've done this whole da- song and dance. And then they've bowed out unceremoniously twice. And they cannot fuck up this year, especially if Giannis doesn't sign his Supermax before the 21st of December, which is when he's, his eligibility runs out. Of course, he can sign it in the offseason, but that means he's now unrestricted. The reason why I don't even buy that argument is because they didn't play all that hard in past regular seasons. Their system just worked. It's not like Giannis has been logging 37, 38 minutes a night. He's playing 30 minutes a game. So if he can do that and they can win 60-plus games, why should a team that's now, in theory, better with the addition of Drew Holiday suddenly struggle to meet, make that same pace? The only thing I would say is they, one thing they don't do as much with him is actually rest him for games, and that could be something that they start doing more of. And maybe at a 72, 
because their real problem is how do they how do they tune up such that they're firing on all cylinders in April, May, June. Maybe they play him 55, 60 games. They know they're still going to be a top two or three seed and call it a day. So I'll go under for that reason. I'm going under as well. You know, okay. so show a little bit more conviction in your pick, man. So look, I told you I don't want to pick it. I, 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 this one is a really hard one for me too. Now the argument for over is easy. Yeah, like you said, you know, this is already a team that manages their minutes, so it's not like you know they've been overworking their guys and they're going to rein it in. That being said, you know how hard it is to win three sixty win seasons in a row. Go back in NBA history and find the last time. And I actually don't know when it was, but. It is extremely hard to win 60 games three times in a row. Yeah. Not only that, there is a cloud of pressure hanging out over this team still with Giannis not signing the extension. I have a feeling he's not doing it anytime soon. So, you know, you got that pressure. And not only that, you've lost. Look, they got better with Drew Holiday. There's no question about that. They got DJ Augustine, Bobby Portis. They lost George Hill. Wes Matthews, Kyle Korver, Ilya Sova. Now, those are all replaceable guys. The reason I mention them, though, is that those are all core rotation pieces. So it's not like they're running back roughly the same team with just Drew Holiday and, you know, in for Eric Bledsoe. There's like four or five guys being swapped with another four or five guys. And so that already is going to cause a little disruption. You know, Bud's going to have to figure some things out, figure out what rotation he likes. You know, what's that nine, ten guys that he's comfortable with most nights? And ultimately, like you said, this is a team focused on the postseason. They they know regular season accolades don't mean anything anymore. Giannis doesn't care about MVPs anymore. He's won two. So at this point, I think they're gonna you know ease the pe- uh, foot on the gas and go slightly under. You know, it's interesting about the rotations because you sort of lose in the shuffle all the guys that were or are now out. And maybe it's like, okay, is Dante DiVincenzo going to be anything, right? Is he going to actually like step into a bigger role? Um, remains to be seen. If your whole season is resting on Dante DiVincenzo, it's probably not a good sign. But one thing I think is interesting about Bud figuring out their rotations is they've always had, with Giannis, like very traditional center play, right? So to limit the time Giannis plays at center because of the wear and tear on his body. So last year, of course, they had Brooke Lopez, Robin Lopez, Here's, you know, in the past, they've had John John Henson. They've had different guys who can actually play center. Now, if you look at this current team, Bobby Portis is kind of a tweener 4-5, so he can Ken log some minutes on the 5. But with Robin Lopez now in D.C., and he wasn't even that good last year, but at least he was a body, who's going to play center for this team outside of Brooke? And I actually wonder if the real unlock and the real change is just more center minutes for Giannis, where you go mm-hmm. way smaller and say, okay, Giannis, Middleton, Drew, and then fill in the blank on the other two, right? Like on some nights it could be Forbes, some nights it could be Augustine, like some nights it could be DiVincenzo or whoever, we'll see, but uh, a Tory Craig. And so I think that could be very interesting. That would be the one thing is like, does that wrinkle work? But maybe that's a playoff move, right? That's not a regular season move. You show that in the playoffs where like kind of like the Lakers started doing with Anthony Davis. Yeah, I mean, I, I didn't even think about that. The center position is, it is a little bit weaker now where, Brooke Lopez is also getting older. Like he's not a guy that is going to be playing big minutes either. So Giannis at the five would be interesting. That if I'm Bud, I would actually try some of that out. And he's got to try something different this season. But uh, yeah, for all those reasons, I think 
I think we can feel pretty confident about the under. Kush uh, right. agrees. He says under. No way Giannis gives a fuck about the regular season after being number <laughs> one the last two years and failing in the playoffs. That's true. I mean, that's the other thing. What if, I, like, as I said, what if he misses 15 games because he's just like, let me rest my body. All right. We yeah. are running late, as per usual, on this podcast. So let's zip through the next two teams. Um, I don't know that their fans even are paying much attention this season, but yep. New York Knicks, uh, 22.5, which translates to 25.6, 12th in the East last year, 28th on offense, 23rd on defense. Julius Randle, RJ Barrett, Dennis Smith Jr., Nerlens Noel, Obi Toppin, Alfred Payton, Kevin Knox, Mitchell Robinson. Uh, I'm an under. This is a really bad team. And what I would say, (laughs) I know they're doing the whole World Wide West thing and like Kentucky East, and eventually that's going to work into bringing Devin Booker and Cat there. That's the whole grand plan, right? We'll see if that happens. I mean, I think one of the things they're trying to do with the signings of like Noel and others is stay a little bit respectable and kind of do the Nets model where you don't suck for five, ten years and expect to just immediately sign stars to actually show that you could be something. I thought that the hiring of Tom Thibodeau was was also in that same vein. I think they know they're going to be bad this year. I'm going under. I don't have much else to say other than I hope, you know, I hope R.J. Barrett learned how to – create a semblance of a jump shot over the offseason. I'm going under two. This team's going to be garbage. <laughs> they lost a lot of the vets who actually contributed last year. You know, Bobby Portis, Wayne Ellington, Todd Gibson. Like, those guys are all gone. Rivers, Noel, don't move the Marcus, needle that much. Marcus Morris. It's, it's, yeah, they're surrounding these young guys with a couple of vets just to be kind of, like you said, respectable. Um, but nothing moving the needle. Like, this team should be tanking. They will be tanking. They got their eyes on 2021, so yeah, under. Next year's draft is loaded. I think if they can get a top yeah. three pick, grab a Cade Cunningham, a Jalen Green, someone like that. Cade Cunningham is sick. I don't know if you've been watching him or paying attention to him at all at Oklahoma State, but he's legit. I have. My worry is he looks a step slow to me when I watch him. but Apparently he's Luka. That's the comp. Yeah, I know. But, but I mean, he looks really good. Like no doubt about it. He can play one through three. But um, but yeah, I've been watching highlights. He's he's been really good. I think he's, he's going to exactly be clear number one at this, at this rate. Kush says under this team sucks. Uh, well said, Kush. <laughs> um, all right. Next up, Orlando Magic, thirty-one and a half full season, thirty-five point nine. So just at thirty-six wins, which is also similar to the Pacers at forty-five. The Magic between thirty-six and thirty-eight feels like a annual rite of passage uh, last year lost in first round to Toronto 23rd on offense 10th on defense um, which has been their calling card under Steve Clifford they have Nikola Vucevic Aaron Gordon um, Markel Fultz Evan Fournier Al Farouk Aminu Mo Bamba Cole Anthony James Ennis you're up give me the under and give me the lock okay. under on the Let's Orlando go. Magic. They're running back the exact same team, essentially. Uh, they added Dwayne Bacon. They lost, though, the most critical piece to their roster, who's DJ Augustine, who uh, DJ Augustine is nothing special, <laughs> but he's been like a staple of that Orlando Magic team for God knows how long now. Um, and I think it's going to have an impact. 
this is another team that's also ready to ship off some of these guys. Like, you know, the moment they get a good deal for Aaron Gordon, he's gone. Evan Fournier, the moment they get a good deal, he's gone. And they've got a lot of other young guys that they're, they're going to try to get minutes and they got to figure out what they have. So I don't see how they're going to be any better than they've been the last couple of seasons. And this was a team that's that perennial, like you said, 36, 37 wins. I think they take a step back. They fall to 33 or 32. And so that is a lock for me, given they're going to drop by at least three to four wins. When you said the most important player, I was hoping you'd mention Jonathan Isaac, who's now out for the year. So that's another big loss for them. But yeah, DJ Augustine, he should have his jersey yep, lifted up to the, not to the rafters, maybe like halfway up, right? Like you just have him kind of near the jumbotron. And so you're always thinking yeah. about DJ Augustine, but he's never actually in the, the elites of the elites of the team. Um, I want to switch this because with Milwaukee, because I went under on Milwaukee. I went over on Orlando. I don't know if I was like dyslexic or what. Okay, here's the case for them. Every year they're counted out because their team does not have flashy names. Every year they produce a top 10 defense, and that wins them a lot of games. And the loss of Isaac is huge, but I do think that Aaron Gordon and Vucevic and Mo Bamba plus Isaac was a little bit a of a crowded front court with nobody really in their natural role other than Vucevic, right? I think if Aaron Gordon slides to the four, you get some of that defense that Isaac provided back with Aminu. And I really liked what I saw from Fultz last year. I think with another season of playing consistent minutes, now he's going to be, you know, I think he was starting last year, but now he's like the de facto point guard. He's going to be running the offense. He's obviously crazy talented. We saw like a glimpse of that last season, but ultimately I think they have a high floor because they're always going to be competitive. They're in those 96, 88 grinded out games. Look, we talked about who we liked at the bottom. I liked uh, Cleveland. You like Detroit. I think this is a situation where it's, you know, it's Atlanta, it's Washington, it's, Orlando, it's Chicago. Um, somehow I just realized, yeah, Detroit. and so and Detroit and Charlotte, right? That could be someone who's in the mix. Some have to go up, some have to go down. I'm just going to go with the team that at least knows what it means to play playoff basketball. I'm going Orlando. Over. Kush uh, says under this team sucks, which is probably true, but yeah we'll see what happens all right next up the philadelphia 76ers 45 and a half full season that's 52 gone in round one last year no ben simmons remember that pitch 13th on offense eighth on defense um aside from the rotation it should be mentioned daryl morey and doc rivers now running the show they got joel Embiid, ben simmons tobias harris seth curry danny green Matthias Teibel, Mike Scott, and Dwight Howard. I mm-hmm. went over. I think the Brett Brown to Doc Rivers upgrade is huge, even though Doc has several warts as a coach. I think at least in those first couple of years before he starts grading on you a little bit, he's going to unlock a lot out of Simmons. If you look at his teams historically, um, he got a lot out of the big men in in you know the Lob City era. He got a lot of the big men last year um, in terms of you know, even Harrell and, and Zubac. And I think Embiid might be the most talented big he's ever coached, um, inc- except for Kevin Garnett, of course. But, you know, late stage Garnett versus prime Embiid. And I think 
the trade, the signing of Al Horford was such an epic disaster. The fact that Maury was able to get out of that by just giving up one pick and bringing back a player who will play for them in Danny Green, that is stuff of legend. And they don't have as many flashy names as they did in last year, or even in years past, but I think the pieces just fit a lot better. So even if Simmons and Embiid aren't a perfect fit together, at least they are accentuated by those around them rather than detracted, which is what was happening last season. I need something from my man Tobias, though. This guy is like the most just depressing, just it uninspiring guy in the league, given his contract, given I mean he's a good dude, but everything about him screams beta or gamma or delta, really. He just doesn't <laughs> want any part of it. Hopefully they don't need him to play that role with Embiid and Simmons giving a little bit more room to operate. So I went over. I went over and gave me the lock. On this over. I am high on the Sixers. I love this team. Look, they just became a professional organization. They went from Brett Brown, who, look, Brett Brown was nice. He got them through the process, but he was in over his head. Elton Brand had no position being in that, uh, you know, the GM position for them. They've now upgraded to Maury and Doc. I'm not a big Doc guy, but he is ultimately the, you know, the best floor raiser. He always gets great seasons or pretty good seasons out of his teams. You know, we can talk about the playoff record and all that at a different point. But, look, this is a team that was a 48-win team last year with Ben Simmons missing a chunk of time. Uh, Jay Rich didn't work out. Like, it looked like a, a good you know acquisition, but he just didn't work out for them. And so they're replacing him now with a lot more shooting and Curry, Ferguson, I know Dan Green's not great, but he's he's still a body. He's still solid. He can make shots. He can make and shots. He can make shots. And, and you like you said, Tobias now can go back to the four, and I think they need to play him at the four. And with Al Horford there clogging up those rotations, uh, it made it harder for Tobias Harris as well. I think now it's a much more natural fit if you play him at the four next to Embiid. Um, I love this team. I think this team is going to be really good. I think they can make Simmons and Embiid work. And you know what? If they don't, this is a sneaky Harden team. And if they decide they want to blow it up, they can ship Simmons out for Harden, and I think it'll still keep their um, ceiling pretty high. So I like the over. This is my lock. This is my favorite lock of the conference um, and where I'd put money on. We're putting money on all of these. But listen, I think – so let me bring – so Kush agreed. He said, I think they get Harden and Doc's great early season coach. So that's an over. The thing about the Harden trade – if it happens, it means no Ben Simmons, right? But Harden has such a high floor. It's a 51 floor, right? Especially in the East, it could be even higher. So that would be very, very interesting. That being said, Doc's never coached a guy quite like Harden, right? And I don't know. I mean, Harden's one of one in a lot of ways. So maybe nobody really has except the ones who have coached him. So I'd be curious to see what that fit looks like. Separately, it should be noted from the Al Horford trade, they created a trade exception that's big enough to fit one P.J. Tucker, who's quite unhappy in Houston. Um, So you might see a little two-for-one there, and suddenly you start building Rockets East because we know that works so well. Um, (laughs) But, you know, I think, you know, putting aside Harden for a second, I still love the over. I didn't even consider that in my decision-making because I think this team, like you said – They've gotten away from who's a big name that we can sign to a big contract because we have the space. 
to who's a guy that fits our two stars. And I love Seth Curry. I think Seth Curry is one of the most underrated players in the league. I think he's on a bargain basement contract of like $8 million a year. He is, uh, you know, the number one or number two all-time three-point shooter. And he's not his brother, Steph, which is the biggest reason he's underrated. But similarly to Steph, he doesn't just take spot-up threes. He can move. He can take them off the dribble. He's a little bit more creative than people give him credit for. And I think playing that two-man game off Embiid, similar to what J.J. Redick did, is going to be really successful. Um you know, I'm done asking Ben Simmons to shoot. It's just not going to happen. I don't <laughs> understand what he's doing. I don't think he understands how much he's limiting himself as a player. I think everybody in the media blows him just like a little too hard for some reason. Like he's really good, but the way they, the reverence in which they speak of him is, I don't know, something that I don't think is necessarily fitting. But to get to 52 or, you know, whatever it is, 40, 46 in this season. It's going to be done. I think it's going to be done. The bump from Brett Brown is going to be big. And if I can connect the dots back to the first team we talked about, Atlanta, the bump that they're going to get when they move on from Lloyd Pierce is going to be very similar to the Brett Brown thing. Excellent guy, the right guy to teach the young guys, and now they need someone who can really teach them how to win. And I think you're going to see that in Philly this season. Mm -hmm. All right. The Toronto Raptors, 41 and a half, uh, which translates to just over 47 wins. Last year, they made it to the Eastern Conference semifinals, lost a thrilling Game 7 to Boston, finished 14th in offense, second in defense. Um, Lowry is back. Uh, Siakam, they signed Van Vliet to a big extension. OG Ananobi, Aaron Baines, uh, Norman Powell, Chris Boucher, and Terrence Davis, who I think has some pretty scary legal stuff going on. I wasn't really sure who else to fit in, so I don't know what his status <laughs> of the season will be. I'm going under. Now, I know Nick Nurse is like, you know, your adopted father in some ways, but <laughs> I think that their calling card was defense. Losing Marcus Gasol, even though he wasn't prime Gasol, but just how smart he was on the court, and then losing Ibaka – it's going to matter. Baines is a good player. I don't think he can replace them. Lowry's one year older and, you know, he started to tail off a little bit down the stretch. Siakam did the same. Siakam showed that I don't think he's that one a, and even in the regular season, if you remember, he came out guns blazing, like averaging 27 a game pre all-star break. He really started to slip a little bit. I love Van Bleet. I'd be really curious to see if last season was contract year Van Vliet or if that's the steady state moving forward. He got rewarded with a big, big payday for an undrafted free agent. Incredible story. But think of the motivation he had last season uh, versus what he might have moving forward. Even as much of a baller as you are, that contract is on the mind because unlike a LeBron, Harden, Giannis, whoever, who get paid max every year on the court, Van Vliet never had gotten paid in his career. And so I think that's a factor. Um, Norman Powell is actually pretty legit. He averaged like 16 in a game, which was totally out of the nowhere. Um, but I think Toronto is going to take a step back. I see Toronto and Indiana being the ones that kind of seed some of that mid Eastern conference seeds to the, the up, upstarts, you know, the wizards, um, and, and others who, who might be in <laughs> place for five, six, seven. So I went under. I'm going with over. I'm going with over. Shock, shocking. You know, I'm a Nick Nurse guy now all of a sudden. <laughs> and look, this is a team that 
I also agree they're gonna they're gonna take a step back for all the reasons you said. They're key, you know, with Gasana Bakugan. I think Aaron Baines is good and good enough. And I think Alex Len, who is not talked about enough, but he had a sneaky good season in Sacramento. Um and you know, defensive wise defensively and his rebounding percentages, he's gonna fill in some some minutes for them. Now, here's the thing. They hired Chris Finch to as an assistant coach to address some of their offensive woes. You're like, oh, okay, who's Chris Finch? This guy, that was if you look question. at his resume, he helped he helped architect Houston's offense um, with, with Harden, Denver's offense with Jokic, the New Orleans team, which had Cousins, AD, and, and the year Mirotic really overperformed. He's had a hand in all these teams, and he's, he's an offensive guru. Nick Nurse has brought him onto his staff. So I think this team, which really struggled with offense, uh, we saw it in the postseason too when – they couldn't rely on Siakam, and you know we saw how much they missed Kawhi Leonard. I think they're going to figure some of that out. And ultimately, look, this was a 60-win team last season if you extrapolated it over 82. We're saying they're going to drop 13 wins. You think Nick Nurse is going to let this roster drop 13 wins? No, he's too good of a coach. They're going to win 50 games. It's going to be an over. Um, and they'll they're not going to be as good, but they'll still be feisty. You're bringing too many facts and reason in here. Um, you forgot from the resume of Nick Finch that he's a TNDC co-chair. Also, Chris, did a Finch. Great, Chris Finch did a great job doing that. <laughs> um, listen, I, on the the Wizards brought in some da- guy. I can't even remember. He had architected some championship defense somewhere, and we were dead last in the NBA. So I don't want to <laughs> hear about what all these. You know, you know what helped having that great offense in Houston? James Harden and Anthony Davis and Demarcus Cousins in New Orleans <laughs> were also helpful. All right, uh, Coach says it's over. <laughs> yeah, right. Oh yeah, Denver. Some mortal lock. They're going to beat up on bad teams, win their fair share of good ones with Nurse as a coach. So you guys can both ask Nurse out after the season as we move <laughs> on to the final team, the only one that matters, the Washington Wizards. This is this is disrespectful. Um, thirty-two is their total, which is thirty-seven for a full season. They finished tenth in the East. 15th on offense, 30th on defense. Both of those slipped um, post because this includes the bubble. Both of those slipped quite a bit in the bubble. Well, the defense was already there, but the offense slipped without Beal and Bertans. So, of course, they have Bradley Beal, uh, Russell Westbrook. You may have heard of him. Davis Bertans, (laughs) Ruri Hachimura, who's now known as the Black Samurai, which is sick. Thomas Bryant, Troy Brown, first-round pick, Denny Avdia, Ish Smith. Um, this is my second and final lock. This is lock of the fucking century over. Give me the over. I can't even believe you think Russell Westbrook is going to go below 500 in the Eastern conference. I know the East is not what it was five years ago, but this isn't LeBron's East. You know what I mean? This is the real time big boy East at the same time. You think Russell Westbrook is scared of these dudes? No, he's going to bring every bit of intensity we've been missing for the last few seasons. He's going to elevate everyone around him. Bradley Beal is going to have another career year, maybe not stats wise because uh, he's sharing the ball a little bit more, but just in terms of efficiency, productivity, value to winning. I think Davis Berton's going to be shooting wide open threes all game long with how much pressure those two are going to put on him. And even a guy like Scott Brooks can't hold his team back from at least getting to 500, 41 and 41, which would of course put us comfortably in the over. This is a lock absolutely lock um 
And frankly, it feels like the line came from pre-trade almost. That's how low it feels to me. But of course, this is this is as of Tuesday. So we know it's post-trade and that's all I got to say about it. I've spoken about this team enough last week and I will as the season continues. I also went over, so we're on the same page. I almost made this my lock, but I figured you know you were going to do it. I didn't want to hype you up too much. I appreciate (laughs) that. You don't want to steal my thunder of that little monologue. But but uh, I'll uh, here I'll add some extra fuel to this fire. I'll uh, look. This was a thirty-one team, thirty-one win team. When you exclude the bubble games where they didn't have Beal, if you extrapolated their their win total, they were thirty-one win team. You're telling me Russell Westbrook's not six wins right there and that the cloud of uncertainty that's lifted with John Wall, like all I had to see was those pictures of them laughing and just cheesing and Westbrook was the happiest I've ever seen him. That told me everything I needed to hear. Like this team is going to be, you know, just in a much better spirits. They still have the same issues defensively, but guess what? Their hectic style of play is only going to be improved with Westbrook. Um, they were fourth in transition frequency last year, but bottom half of the league in efficiency and trans, uh, transition scoring. So now you add Westbrook, they're going to convert those transition buckets, still going to give up 150 on the defensive end, but now they're putting up 160, it won't even matter. So this team is definitely hitting the over. Let's go. I'm excited. I'm rooting for the Wizards this year. Um, I'd like to see Westbrook kind of back to his normal self, and I, I like Beal. Uh, so, yeah. We I'm actually the lost the game 159 to 158 last season. Yeah, I remember. To the, to the Westbrook <laughs> Rockets. Yeah. yeah. So here's what I'd say about our defense. Yes, we were bad, but let me throw some stats at you since you're giving me transition rankings <laughs> and shit. The Wizards finished 30th last year on defense, which, as you know, there are 30 teams, so that's not good. But after the trade deadline, when they got rid of Isaiah Thomas, who was the biggest sieve in NBA history, they actually were 14th from then on till the end of the regular season pre-bubble. So they played a respectable stretch of basketball. I know it wasn't very long. It was about a month or so. Uh, but they played a respectable stretch of basketball, 14th in the NBA defense. That's not going to win you a title, but it's not going to make headlines as the worst defense in NBA history, which is what they were tracking on you know, before then. And then when they got to the bubble, they slipped back to 30th because you lost Beal. You lost, You basically brought a skeleton squad out there. So even though Westbrook's not a defend, good defender, I think just from his athleticism, from his energy, he's going to be a massive upgrade over whatever they had. And then Robin Lopez, right? I think on some nights, Robin Lopez actually will play decently, um, decent amount of minutes. When Thomas Bryant's getting just put in a locker by Joel Embiid or Nikola Jokic or some of these guys, I think you might see some more Robin Lopez. And for what it's worth, he can stand there and like try to like block the rim. He was the third lowest field goal percentage allowed against. I think his brother and Giannis were like ahead of him in that. And so he can defend the rim. He can't do almost anything else, but he can at least do that. So I think that'll help. Kush agrees. He says, Russell Westbrook and Beal get you 40 wins. Beal hyped to play with another star for the first time in two years. Russ with a chip on his shoulder. Bad bottom half of the East they can beat up on. I think the only thing that would sway this is if it doesn't work to the point that Beal asks out. I don't think that's going to happen. If this was a wall-led team, right, if they had never made the deal, that would and could happen when they start off and they're 4-11. and 11, He's like, all right, we're done. Like, we're out. With Russ, it's similar to what I mentioned in Chicago of you get a reset button. 
you kind of get to start over of like, let's figure this out. We brought in a guy that was third team all NBA last year, won the MVP just four years ago. You actually get to reset your expectations a little bit. And they have a two-year window with Beal at this point to make him happy and to make him see the light. And I think they're going to do everything they can to persuade him to stick around, including potentially packaging some of the young guys um, for a third player of, you know, maybe not star caliber, but that very, very quality wingman that they're missing right now. Yeah. I mean, look, I'm, I'm all on board. I agree. I think this one uh, we're in agreement. What did Kush say? Did you say that? Yeah. He said over, he said, Russ and Beal, you got you 40. Yeah. And I think so okay. too. Right. There you go. I think when is the last time Beal, uh, Russell Westbrook did not, play 500 basketball and or make the playoffs. You'd have to go back to his second year in Oklahoma City, the one that allowed him to to, to draft Harden. That's the last time he didn't play in the playoffs. I just it's inconceivable that that would happen even at his advanced age. Um I thought he was awesome pre-bubble, got covid, got the quad injury. I don't know what version of him we're going to get especially shooting wise, but I think everything else he's going to light it up and and we're in a good spot. So that's a wrap on the Eastern Conference. That was a lot of fun. I forgot how much movement there was just typing out these rotations and seeing everything. I was like, holy shit, this is going to be a crazy year. I think there's several coin flips, really. All of these are supposed to be coin flips. Some felt like impossibilities <laughs> to nail down. Yeah, it was it was definitely very hard this year. I mean, I think what makes it so fun is that there's some balance returning to the East and West. I mean, not balance, but uh, you got seven teams in the East, I think that are all pretty solid, could all make a case for 45 wins plus. Uh, seven or eight maybe, which, you know, the last couple of years we haven't been able to say that. So I think it's going to be an exciting season. I can't wait to do West next week. That one's also going to be quite the trip. Uh, the, I was taking a look at them, and they're pretty hard. They're just as hard as the Eastern ones. So. The East has more variation in the middle and the bottom. Like the top teams mostly brought it back. The West has just as much variation at the top. Maybe not the Lakers, uh, and to some extent the Clippers. But you got the Suns, you got the Nuggets, you got, um, you know, the Rockets. Those that was a top team last year. Now they're who knows what the hell is going on. You got the Blazers who loaded up. So it's going to be so much fun. We'll go through that next week. We'll bring you the final preview the week after. Like we said, preseason basketball starts tomorrow. We hope you guys are excited and you're ready to you're ready to get going again. So please rate, review, and subscribe to Thick and Thin on all major podcast platforms. Please email us at thickandthinhoops at gmail.com and we will talk to you next week.